At the beginning of the 20th century, women had largely been excluded from participating in athletics for various unfounded reasons. Men claimed that women were unable to handle strenuous activity like sprinting or distance running. They even claimed that sports would damage a woman's internal organs and cause them to be unable to bear children. Despite all those ridiculous claims, women finally got the opportunity to compete at the Olympics in 1928, but only white women were included. It wasn't until eight years later, in 1936, that we saw a black woman compete at the games for the first time in history. That woman was Tidy Pickett. My name is Anderson, and this is Track and Field Black History. In 1914, Tidy Pickett was born in Inglewood, a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Of course, in this time, she had to deal with discrimination and racism in various forms, but there was another layer as well because of how she looked. She was light-skinned, short, and was seen as having similarities to that of someone from East or Southeast Asia. So despite being a black woman, she faced questions, discrimination, and all kinds of things like that just because of how she looked. And even though this was in 1914, we still see things like this today. Black people are not a monolith and don't look one certain way. We as black people are dark and light and mixed and all along the spectrum. Yet we do still hear about people's quote, blackness being questioned just because of how they looked or act. So think about that in the context of the 1920s over a hundred years ago. Pickett grew up with a small family. Her mother was a clerk in a factory, her father was a foreman in a foundry, and she had one brother who was just two years older than her. She first got her start in running with a program part of Chicago's South Park District in Washington Park, just a few blocks away from her house in Inglewood. She started when she was really young and essentially grew up running in the parks. The program frequently held competitions for boys and girls in the park and at one of these early competitions, running the 13 to 14 year old age group, Pickett finished second place in the 50 yard dash. Though still very young, these park races and competitions would prepare her for her future success. Along with running, she was a top basketball player in the city as well. She played as part of the Union Church League, which was the biggest sports organization in the Chicago African American community during the 20s and 30s. Between 1929 and 1933, Pickett was one of the top players on her team, spent time as the team captain, and was at a point considered the floor general because she was such a prolific scorer. But unfortunately, after the 1933 basketball season, the Union Church League eliminated the women's program, though it kept the two other men's programs that it had. There is no specific reasoning as to why the women's team was eliminated, but many place blame on the Great Depression, which was causing various organizations and businesses to struggle just to maintain themselves financially. This essentially ended her time playing organized basketball, though there was a bit of time in 1934 that, along with other girls she played with, organized some local games in the community in a very loose fashion that was not consistent enough to grow into anything significant, though basketball would present itself in her life much later on in her career. Now Pickett attended Inglewood High School from the early 1930s. The school was integrated with about a third of the student body being black, so though it wasn't the most pleasant experience having to navigate an integrated high school in the 1930s as a teenage black woman, Pickett took full advantage of her high school experience, both in education and athletics. Now, Chicago schools didn't have any organized sports for girls yet, specifically anything that would allow them to compete against other schools, but they did have intramural sports and activities like basketball, tennis, gymnastics, dance, and other things like that. 
but Pickett skipped participating with her school and maintained her participation as part of the Chicago Parks program. Since she had been running with the parks since she was younger, there were more opportunities for higher quality competition that she just wouldn't be able to get in school. Through competing with this parks program, she eventually got the opportunity to compete at larger track meets sponsored by athletics clubs and other organizations in Chicago, leading her to gain more exposure. In January 1932, Pickett competed at an AAU-sponsored meet sanctioned by the Women's Athletic Club. Running the 60-yard dash here, she tied the American indoor record which had been set four years prior. Because of her accomplishment, the Chicago Defender, the Chicago Tribune, and a few other newspapers put her story as the headline from that day. Two months later, at a meet sponsored by the Illinois National Guard, Pickett won the 60-yard dash again, this time beating out two of the top women in the city. Her achievements brought on attention and recognition from the public, which began leading to talks of her potentially making it to the Olympic Games, which would be held later on that year in Los Angeles. After competing at a few more meets throughout the year, Pickett was eventually selected to compete at the 1932 US Olympic Trials, which were conveniently being held in Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago. Now at those trials, Pickett would be joined by Louis Stokes. Stokes was a black woman from Massachusetts who was an outstanding sprinter and had set a world record in the standing broad jump, leading her to also be selected to compete at the trials. Now, the local newspaper, the Chicago Defender, was covering the Olympic trials and went out of their way to highlight Pickett in her hometown. Though Chicago was in the North and relatively more progressive and accepting of black athletes, there was still discrimination and racism. Remember, this is still the 1930s, but the newspaper made it a point to compare the North and the South, noting that, quote, the prejudiced South would not have permitted these two stars to enter a race with their white sisters, referring to Pickett and Stokes competing at the trials. So both ladies would be competing in the 100-yard dash against a field of all-white women. But that didn't matter. They were getting their chance to compete amongst the best, and they wanted to take full advantage of the opportunity. In the final of the 100-meter dash, Stokes managed to finish in fourth place while Pickett finished sixth. So though neither would make the individual team which required top three, that made them eligible to run as part of the 4 by 100 meter relay at the Olympics, effectively making them the first black women in history to ever qualify and be selected to compete at the Olympic Games. This wasn't without controversy though, and not only because they were black, but also because they were black women. Women overall had been excluded from the Olympics until just four years prior in 1928, Prior to that, they had only been allowed to compete in quote, less strenuous sports like golf, tennis, or archery, or things like that. This was the early 1900s, so there were tons of ingrained ideas on what a woman's role in society was. It sounds really kind of wild now, but men didn't want sports to occupy quote, a woman's primary function. They even believed that sports were damaging to a woman's internal organs, which would ultimately hinder their ability to give birth and become mothers. Just thinking about that now is absolutely insane. So couple that with sexism against women along with discrimination against black women, again, in the early 1900s. The team would be taking a train from Chicago to Los Angeles that summer and both Pickett and Stokes were forced to stay in a separate room from the rest of their teammates. They later had a stop in Denver, Colorado where the team would be staying overnight at a hotel. At the hotel in Denver, Pickett and Stokes were again given a separate room from the rest of the team, which was of low quality and next to a service area basically in the attic. In addition, the hotel decided to honor the Olympic team with a banquet to celebrate them as they headed off to the games. 
but both ladies were not allowed to attend and instead they were provided meals but were forced to eat dinner in their room as opposed to joining in the banquet hall with the rest of the team simply because they were black. Speaking on this experience, Pickett had said, quote, all the other girls had private rooms, went to the banquet, were interviewed by reporters. Luis and I shared a room in the attic and ate our dinner upstairs on trays. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there. One of the teammates, Mildred Didrikson, was one of the most popular American women in the sport at the time and was pretty well known as a racist and completely opposed to having black athletes in general competing at the Olympics. So back on the train for the final leg of the trip to Los Angeles, one night Diedrichsen went into Pickett and Stokes room on the train car and when they were sleeping, took a pitcher of ice water and poured it on top of them. Pickett later confronted Diedrichsen about her actions but she never actually received an apology. In an interview years later, looking back at the racism on the train and at the hotel, Pickett had simply said quote, there were a few athletes and team officials who did not hide their bigotry. With all this, the most dramatic actions will come at the Olympic Games themselves. Now, Pickett and Stokes had been clear about the selection process for the team. The top six women of the 100 meters would get to run on the 4x100 meter relay. But there were some things going on in the background that would change everything up. Another athlete, Evelyn First, who had tripped and fell in the 100 meters at the Olympic trials, didn't get to qualify. But one of the team chaperones had appealed to the US Olympic Committee saying that first was good enough to be placed on the team. Then another athlete, Annette Rogers, who had made the team in the high jump, was also placed on the 4x1 as she was also a pretty good runner. Now all of this was happening and being changed up while the team was traveling to Los Angeles. So Pickett and Stokes didn't know anything about what was going on. At the games in Los Angeles, after spending time practicing, thinking they would get the chance to run, Pickett and Stokes were later placed as alternates on the relay, which essentially was them being told that they would not be competing and other white women who had not even qualified in the 100 meters would be taking their place. So sadly, both ladies sat in the stands and watched as their white American teammates went on to win an Olympic gold medal in the 4x100 meter relay. This was devastating and noted by many black journalists at the time as clear racial discrimination. Two black women who were unequivocally faster and more talented were replaced by two white women. Some outlets and historians look back noting that the relay coach saw qualities in other ladies that were conducive to a better team. Things like quicker starts, more speed, and the ability to handle the baton, but it was clear what this was. Pickett later said, quote, I knew I was better than some of them. It was politics, politics and sports, sports and politics. They've always gone together. Despite this being 1932, we still deal with this today where people want to separate politics from sports knowing that they are completely intertwined in various different ways. What happened to Pickett and Stokes at the 1932 Olympics was clear racial discrimination. So though Pickett lost out on her Olympic debut, she would not let that deter her from her love of the sport and the goal of one day competing at the games. In 1933, she continued to train and compete, but this season was not nearly as impressive as the prior year was for her. Competing mostly in the Chicago parks as well as at national AAU meets, Pickett lost most of her sprint races and didn't make much of an impact as in 1932. 
On the other hand, she did get more involved with organizing athletic programs around the city. She became vice president of an athletic club and began to host meets in Chicago. In the winter of 1933, there were around 700 girls who were competing in the parks program on the south side of Chicago, despite the ongoing Great Depression. Pickett was also active in tennis, and though not an elite player, she formed a tennis club and hosted competitions in that summer. This was all in addition to organizing local basketball games after the Union Church League had ended their women's program in 1933. In 1934, Pickett decided to start training in the hurdles and jumps, possibly after feeling a bit of disappointment with the sprints the previous year. So over the next two years, she began to develop her talent in the hurdles and jumps, along with the sprints as well. She had the opportunity to travel around the country and even into Canada to compete, almost always representing the Chicago South Park District team. In 1934, she finished fourth place in the 50 meter hurdles at the AAU Nationals in Brooklyn, New York. She also set a world best for the 40 yard dash at a meet in Chicago. That summer, competing in Toronto, Canada, Pickett broke the world record in the broad jump, an event which of course is no longer held. She also won the relay, the 60 meter dash, and finished second place in the 80 meter hurdles. Finally, at the Central AAU meet, Pickett won the broad jump, 80 meter hurdles, and 100 meter dash, beating out some of her top competitors. So this year was a huge rebound from the trail off she had in 1933. Enter 1935 and things pick up even more. At two Canadian meets in Hamilton and Toronto, Pickett ran the 440 yard relay where she and her teammates set the world record twice, once at both meet. She also individually would go on to have top performances in the 50 yard dash, 100 yard dash, and 80 meter hurdles. This solidified her as one of the best women in the country and was a springboard to the 1936 season, which would be her second chance at becoming an Olympic athlete. After some early season competitions in 1936, Pickett was on her way to Providence, Rhode Island for the 1936 US Olympic trials. Here she would only be competing in the 80 meter hurdles as she figured this would be her best chance at making the team. This time though, there was no thought of finishing top six and maybe making it onto the relay. She was going for top three to solidify her spot and she did that. So despite hitting her trail leg on the seventh hurdle and bruising her ankle in the process, Pickett finished second place in the 80 meter hurdles at the trials, booking her ticket to the Olympic games to be held in Berlin, Germany that year. The history of those 1936 games is well documented as it was hosted by Nazi Germany just prior to the start of World War II. The US had debated boycotting but eventually chose to send athletes to compete in Germany. The United States for the first time was sending a large contingent of black athletes who did extremely well winning 12 medals highlighted by Jesse Owens four gold medals. But among those black athletes, all men, who competed and stood on the podium at the games, Pickett was also with them. She traveled to Berlin with the team and finally had her chance to compete at the games. Because of how well she had been doing over the past two years, she was looked at as one of the medal favorites in the 80 meter hurdles. She was also getting some training on her hurdle technique from her teammates Ralph Metcalf and Jesse Owens. The first round heats, she comfortably ran through and qualified to the next round. Unfortunately though, in the semifinals, similar to at the trials, Pickett caught her trail leg on one of the hurdles, but this time she fell to the track and injured herself, breaking her foot and ending her chances at a medal. 
Now, despite the tragedy of suffering and injury, Pickett made history becoming the first African-American woman to compete at the Olympic Games, overcoming just slightly the tragedy four years earlier of having her Olympic opportunity stripped away from her simply because of the color of her skin. After the Olympics, Pickett's Olympic career was essentially over. Though she likely would have continued, World War II was on the horizon and in 1940 and 1944, the Olympics were eventually canceled due to the war. Pickett had began attending Illinois State Normal University, now simply known as Illinois State University, in the fall of 1935, majoring in health and physical education. In addition to her studies and participating in athletics, she also served as the school's student head of all women's athletics as well as secretary for the school's dance team. It was unfortunately reported though that in the fall of 1939, despite being a relatively well-known Olympic athlete, Pickett was unemployed and was in need of funds to be able to finish her final year at Illinois State. During that time, she began playing basketball again, joining a Chicago team called the Bivens All-Stars, which started as just a normal team, but later evolved into a barnstorming pro team, similar to like the Harlem Globetrotters, playing more of an entertainment-like game. She played basketball for two years until 1941, ending her athletic career at that point and choosing to just settle down. Pickett got married and had her first child in 1942, and later had three more children. She returned to school earning degrees in teaching and education. In 1956, after earning her master's in education from Northern Illinois University, she became a teacher in East Chicago Heights, a predominantly black neighborhood in the city, which struggled with access to appropriate educational opportunities and resources. She later became a principal at a school in the district, a position she would hold for over 20 years until she retired in 1980. That same year, the school was renamed in her honor Honor as the Tidy A. Pickett School. Shortly after her retirement, in 1986, Pickett passed away at the age of 72. In the 70 plus years of her life, Pickett experienced the ups and downs of being a black woman in America, coming up through the parks program on the south side of Chicago, making it to the Olympics but losing her spot due to blatant racism, to later becoming the first African American woman to compete at the games all the while giving back to her community by establishing and leading sports programs for girls in Chicago to later becoming a teacher and principal in the city. Pickett may not be as well known as some other athletes, but she set the foundation as one of the pioneers for black women in sports today. In 1984, when the Olympic Games returned to Los Angeles for the first time since 1932, Pickett attended and had the chance to reflect on her experiences back in 1932 and 1936. Though cheering for the United States at those 1984 games, she noted that back in the 1930s, it was quote, hard for her to feel so patriotic because of the racism and bigotry that she faced at those 1932 games. That's a feeling that still unfortunately still resonates with black people to this day. So that's the story of Tidy Pickett, the first African-American woman to compete at the Olympic Games. Make sure you follow the podcast. Come back next week for another story. Check us out on Instagram. And thanks again for tuning in to Track and Field Black History.